Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you watching online, wherever you may be, and those of you in our video venues. Would you join me in welcoming them? Good to have you guys with us, wherever you're at. We hope you had an incredible Thanksgiving, you and your family. I know it was a little different this year. Maybe your traditions got disrupted. Hopefully you had that special dish that you love. Uh, I, I know for us, our traditions got a little disrupted. We were going around doing some different things. We were taking family pictures, and we were done. We're coming back in the car, and we realized we hadn't done that thing that we do every year where you stop as a family and say what you're thankful for. And it's kind of like an on-the-fly pop quiz evaluation of how I'm doing as a dad. And so we threw it to the back seat, hoping that things would go right. My youngest son popped up. He goes, Dad, I'll go first. He goes, here's what I'm thankful for. Thankful for my family. Thankful for all of you in this car. I love you all. Which, after family pictures, that's a pretty good accomplishment right there. I was like, check, we're good. And then he's like, I'm thankful for God. I'm so thankful for God. I was like, yeah, we're doing really good. Then he surprised me with number three. He goes, the third thing I'm thankful for is the gift of beatboxing. And I was like, I don't even know that was a gift you had. Then he shared the gift with us right there in the car. It was a memorable Thanksgiving. But, but here's the point. We all need it. What, what a great reason to be grateful, to be thankful, to be verbal about it. I think every year we need it. I think this year, maybe more than ever, we need that opportunity to be grateful, intentionally thankful, to out of our own mouth say we recognize there's so much amidst challenges, amidst circumstances, to be grateful for. And you as the people of Milestone Church, you continue to do what you always do. You, you, we, we mentioned last weekend how we had a Thanksgiving meal drive. Hundreds of families were able to have a Thanksgiving meal because of you. And then this week, you did it again. You showed up. You showed out. You went to the seniors in our community. And considering uh, masks and social distancing, you still provide over 100 seniors with a Thanksgiving meal to let them know someone's thinking about them, someone loves them, someone cares that, for them. Isn't that awesome? That's the power of a church. That's the power of a group of people coming together to offer the love of Jesus to people in a practical way. And we're in this little series that we've been on called uh, City on a Hill, where we're talking about exactly that. What does it look like for a group of people to come together under the name of Jesus and then to be light to the world uh, through what he's doing in each of them? And you guys have been doing great as we've looked at this passage. If you have your Bible, turn with me again. We're going to go back again to Matthew chapter 5. We've also been uh, looking as a church family, uh, those of you watching online, joining us each week. If you missed it, you could go back. We've been in the series looking about where we're going as a church family, these next steps. Because we have next steps. There's a place that God's taking us. And last weekend we had a miracle offering. We're talking about expansion. We're talking about expanding the worship center. We're talking about expanding our kids' area. We're talking about expanding commons. And you're thinking, Jed, why are we doing that in the middle of a, 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 of a situation like this where everything's just up in the air? Why are we doing that? Well, the reason is because we have to make space for people. You may not realize that. I don't know if you know this, but during this time, we've been adding services. We've been expanding video venues. We've been doing things to accommodate people safely, even with all of our church not being back and new people adding in. And I think sometimes, talking with people, there's a little confusion. You know, you hear about the updated kids' spaces. You hear about the commons. You hear about the back patio. And you think all those things fall under the that-would-be-nice category, right? Like if we were to go back to Thanksgiving, 
think about, there's a difference between the Thanksgiving that we had and what if we could make it a little nicer? Like, I don't know about you, I've never had like a free-range, elite, grass-fed only turkey, but I'm curious what that might taste like. Like, whatever pie you enjoy, imagine that pie only better. Now I got your attention, right? And I think sometimes that's what we think about this, this project that we're in. We're taking what we have. You see the building, you think, oh, it's big. There's plenty of space. We're just trying to make it a little better. That's not that motivating. It's the difference between that would be nice and this is vital. If we were to go back to the Thanksgiving illustration where we're at as a church family, it's not like, hey, we're upgrading just a little bit. We're, we're if, back to Thanksgiving. It would be like, imagine if you invited a bunch of friends over. They showed up at your house and you had no place to put them. If you had no place to put them, it wouldn't be, well, it would be nice if we made space. They would want to know that there was a place for them, that someone would treat them with kindness, that there would be a place for them to park and a place for their kids and a place for them to sit, and that's where we're at. See, if you just think it's nice, no one's willing to sacrifice just for nice. But if you understand it's vital, you understand it's the difference between lives being changed and eternal kingdom destinies being altered and eternity in a family line being changed forever like we're gonna see next weekend at baptism weekend. That you'll go, okay, what we gotta do, this is really important, we have to make a difference. And I understand, the timing for many of us is not ideal. You're going, Jed, are you, are you asleep at the wheel? Like this is 2020, challenging year, challenging time. Most people are going, we're trying to figure out what's happening in, in our schools, with our businesses, in our families, in our country, we don't even know what's going on. You're talking about expansion, and I get it. I've had those moments. It's a hard year. I think we need hope, we need faith, because right now, in our world, what we're getting is all the negative all the time. In so many ways, uh, the cultural narrative is just a race to the bottom, thinking up new ways that we didn't even know 2020 could be worse. And, and I don't know about you, but in my personality, you might see me up here, you think, well, you're so uh, passionate and upbeat. Well, in my natural personality, I can get anxious, I can get worried, I can fixate on bad news. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but as human beings, we always remember the worst, the bad news, more than we remember the good news. You know that if you're watching online. And there, I, I found this research this week, thinking about you and praying for you. A guy named Marty Seligman, really brilliant researcher. He said, here's the problem. When we, when we face bad news, here's why bad news is so difficult for us, the way that our minds work. He said that th this is what happens. There's three phases, really, to how we process bad news. And the first phase is that we think it's pervasive. Here's what that means. If one bad thing happens to us, we lose sight of the 10 good things and we think everything is bad. I, has that happened to you? That happens to me all the time. I, my mind fixates. I could have seven or eight good things happening. If one bad thing happens, my attention, my energy, my focus shifts to what's bad and it makes it feel like everything is bad. I'm not minimizing the pain. I'm not minimizing your very real challenges. I'm just saying perspective could help us. Here's the second thing, we feel like it's permanent, right? This is like the year that won't end, the challenges that won't end. The we, we told it it was gonna be a few weeks, it was gonna be a season, it was gonna be a curve. It's like, it just feels like it's going on forever, infinitely. And you have to remind yourself, it's not always gonna be this way. Better days are ahead. There's hope, there's a future, there's plans. We have to intentionally say, you know what? It's not permanent, there is hope, there is something else out there. And then here's the third one. I know if you're like me, when you have bad news, when you have difficult circumstances, you wanna find someone to blame it on. It's not healthy, but it's what we do. 
We want to assign blame. We want to point out whose fault it is. If they wouldn't do this and if they wouldn't. But here's the thing. Eventually you run out of people to blame. And when your head hits the pillow, ultimately you look at yourself. It becomes personal. You think, it's my fault. If I was stronger, if I was smarter, if I was more talented, if I had taken that job opportunity, if I hadn't messed up that relationship, if I hadn't done this thing, if I hadn't made that poor choice financially, I wouldn't be in the situation. And then you have this, this mountain of sadness, this mountain of discouragement, this mountain of blame that begins to crush you. And we see that in the mental health numbers. We see that in the suicide numbers as a culture. We don't know what to do. But the great thing is, when we don't know what to do, God always knows what to do. And when we look in his word, we find hope, we find faith, we find people in desperate situations, difficult circumstances, people who feel like you and me, who are like, I don't know what to do. It only seems like it's getting worse. And in the midst of that, God comes and does what only God can do, which brings us back to Matthew chapter five. Now, we've looked at this passage the last couple weeks, and I'm gonna read it to you again, and I think you're gonna see some new things, not because of my insights, but because the word is that rich, the word is that profound, the word is that deep. If you're not familiar, if you haven't been joining along with us, Matthew 5 is in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. It goes Matthew 5, 6, and 7. There's so many things that he says in there. It's a real sermon from a real place that happened. The Bible tells us that in this area, this big open field, this expanse, it's Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem. I've been there. It's a beautiful spot where Jesus used the acoustics and the natural amphitheater of the hill to be able to broadcast what he was saying to a big group of people. The Bible tells us people were coming from all over. They'd heard about this guy who was healing the sick and he was teaching and incredible things were happening. So as far away as Jerusalem, now you probably don't realize this, that meant a week's travel, like what they could travel and the road was dangerous and the difficulty, but people were so intrigued by Jesus that they went a week to go and hear what he might say. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Imagine being there on that day. Imagine you went in a time machine and you were there on that day and you were watching, you were wondering, what's it gonna, what's it gonna look like? What's it gonna sound like? Are people gonna understand what's happening? Well, whatever you think about it, there's probably no way that anyone there would have realized that in that moment, on that hill, listening to Jesus, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, people would still be finding hope and faith and encouragement from what happened on that day. It's powerful if you think about it. I think many times we fail to recognize the significance of what God's doing in our lives in the moment. So if you've ever, I don't know, you maybe haven't thought about this, this is the way I think about the Bible, it's fascinating to me. Who's there that day? Who's listening to, what are they like? I, have you ever wondered, does the Bible really speak to me? Does it really speak to my situations? Do the people who first heard it, do they feel the way that I felt? And the answer is unequivocally, yes. So there's four groups that day. Here's who's in the crowd, and here's how they were responding to their crisis, to their circumstances, to their challenge. They were living under the weight of the Roman Empire. At this point, it's been hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus begins to teach prophetically. God's been silent. They're wondering what's gonna happen. There was a little glimmer of hope with his birth and his arrival, but most people missed that, and now in this moment, he's beginning his teaching, and things are beginning to happen, but they're afraid, and they feel, they feel depressed and discouraged and downtrodden. And so here's who's in the crowd that day. The first group are the Essenes. Now, if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that, this is that group. They lived in caves. 
They basically looked at the darkness of their culture and they said, our world is so bad, we're gonna hide. We're gonna live in caves because we don't wanna be darkened, we don't wanna be tainted, we don't wanna be dirtied by the culture and the attitudes and the practices. And I would suggest there are still some people who take that attitude today. Their response, their reaction to the way things are going in the world is to hide, to hope it gets better or it somehow sorts itself out. The second group were the zealots. Now, the zealots is a group. Now, uh, the zealots, here's their attitude. They, they wanted to fight people. They were just ready to fight. Now, I don't know if you have any friends in your life. Maybe you're a person who likes to fight. I, I'm not great at fighting, but I like to have friends who do know how to fight um, because they watch my six. And I'm not totally sure what that means, but it sounds powerful. It's like, too, you, you ever been around somebody who really knows how to fight? Right, like it's not the loud guy. The loud guy is not the guy you gotta worry about. It's the guy over there. Like, I don't understand it. I don't relate to people who like to get punched in the face. They're like, it makes me feel alive. I was like, I feel alive just fine without that. But there are people out there, their answer is let's fight. Now, it's not always the answer. I'm joking, right, I'm teasing. But that's what they wanted to do. They said, let's fight. And there are people in our world today who think the answer is to find out who the problem is and fight them. Here's the third group. It's really two groups put into one. It's the religious elite. And the religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did the same thing back then that they still do today. They wanted to argue. They wanted to talk about the rules and the, and the theories and the, and the uh, precepts and the uh, patterns and they wanted to do studies and they wanted to look at it and then they wanted to argue because here was their idea. If they could just get everybody to see it the way they see it, then what would happen would be the whole world would change but we realize there's not just religious elites in our world today, there's all kinds of elites who think the answer is everybody thinking the way they think and if they could just argue everybody else into their point of view, the world would be a perfect place and we know that doesn't really return on the investment the way that we would want it to. And then really the fourth group, it may be the group you're in, you may be a little bit in a couple different groups, but the fourth group is just the common person who's like, I don't even know what's going on, I don't even know how to fix it, but does anybody have some help? And I know that Jesus' heart went out to those people. Here's how I know that Jesus' heart went out to those people. In this sermon, right about where we're, uh, uh, before where we're gonna read in verse 14, he gives these statements, you might have heard of them, they're called the Beatitudes. They're crazy, counterintuitive, paradoxical statements that Jesus makes. He says, you guys who are hungry and thirsty, you guys who are being persecuted, you guys who are mourning, you guys are actually blessed. The root of that word is you're happy. You should be happy when you're hungry. You should be happy when you're persecuted. You should be happy when you're mourning. You're like, Jesus, are you crazy? What are you talking about? He says, here's why you should be happy. Because when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, when you're mourning, you're not as easily deceived. You don't change things that offer hope but have no power to deliver hope. You're in the space to see clearly, and when you see clearly, you realize the only hope, the only power, the only change is found in God himself. But because of me, that God who is far off has been brought near. I don't know about you, that's the kind of hope and encouragement my soul needs. Matthew chapter five, verse 14, look what it says. You are the light of the world. Now we've been reading this three weeks in a row that sounds familiar. This is another crazy statement. When you read the Bible, there's this thing called the principle of first mention. And what that simply means is anytime the Bible mentions a phrase, a concept, a picture, a metaphor, it always goes back to the first time we heard it. 
So when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, his crowd would have heard this. Where's the first time God talked about light? Well, you have to go back the first chapter of the Bible. The first thing God says is, let there be light. I don't know if you're into science, but if you are, congratulations, number one. And number two, you know that the universe is expanding at the speed of light right now as we sit here or stand here on this platform. Why? Because God said, let there be light, and he didn't say stop, so it's still going. The Bible says that there was darkness and chaos over the void, and he said, let there be light, and his creative power went through those words. God's creative power, overcoming darkness, changing things, building a world the way that he wanted to build it. Jesus is saying to this group of people, the same God who did that in creation has come now and through me and the kingdom I've come to bring, he's gonna do that through you. That's crazy that this God would say in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, my church, my family, my hands and feet in the earth can make a change, can push back darkness. It changes the way we think about what it means to be a group of believers gathered under the name of Jesus. The power, the opportunity, the ability is so much greater. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. That's another one that's hard for us to understand. You know, any night owls here? I'm a night owl. I come alive, I get a second wind or a third wind. I just like it. I think clearly at night. But you know what? In the ancient world, there were no night owls unless they just completely sat in the dark. Because in the ancient world, you know what you did when it was dark? You went to sleep. They weren't binging. They had like the average family would have one little collection of emergency oil, right? Like you've heard the phrase, burning the midnight oil. That's what they were talking about. So like, you had this emergency oil. You weren't powering the oil to fire up the Netflix so that you could somehow stop thinking about your problems. They didn't do that. They had a limited amount. But when that light came on, you could see everything in the house in a totally different way. Look what the Bible goes on to say. In the same way, in a dark place, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. We read Father as interchangeable with God. In their day, radical idea. No one talked about God. God was other, God was holy, God was angry, God was distant, God was silent, God was not Father. Jesus comes and says, this God that I've come to show you, let me tell you who he is. First and foremost, he's a father. And whether you're watching online, you're in the room, you're in a video venue, you may not hear anything else I say. You may have had a terrible relationship with your earthly father. You may think God's mad at you. You may think when God thinks of you, he thinks about all the ways to punish you. Let Jesus' words comfort you and change his perspective. If there's one thing God wants you to know, He's your father. He loves you. He's calling you to come home into a relationship with him. If you thought the Christian life was this exercise in in trying to be better than everyone else and be quick to remind everyone else, see, we get it confused. We read this passage. Look what it says here. It says, let your light shine before others. Too many Christians flip this. We think the purpose of our light is to shine before God. God doesn't need your light to see what's happening in your life. I know 
in my own life, I've made this mistake many times. You ever done that? You ever been real proud of something that you did? And you just remind God, God, I don't know if you saw this or not, but that person wronged me. And I forgave them because I'm a man of character and integrity. And because of your word, I'm counting to, to reap where I have sown, just so that you're aware. That's ridiculous. But we do, God, I, I, I had a bad day, but I still came to church. God, I wasn't, you know, God, I want you to see this. And we think somehow we're trying to put things in the ledger as if God would be owed, God would owe us something in return for our little acts that we think are great and that shine the light. God sees everything we do. He sees past what we do to the intention behind what we do. If you were to continue on in, in the Sermon on the Mount, so much of the Sermon on the Mount is about that. The light is not for God. Think about this, this is powerful. The light is for others. You know what doesn't change others? Hiding doesn't change others. Arguing doesn't change others. Fighting doesn't change others. The only thing that can change the heart of others is when others see the light that comes through you, not from you, through you, out of a heart that's humble, that's submitted to God, that says, I don't feel like giving, I don't feel like serving, I don't feel like praying, but it's not about how I feel, it's about a God who loved me, who wants to work through me to reach a hurting world. When you see that, you can't say, well, I'm gonna argue that away. I'm gonna fight that away. All you can do is say, there is a light and there is a God and I see him for the first time. This is not theory. This is not just an idea that I'm explaining. You say, you're passionate about this. Why are you so passionate? Because I've experienced it myself in a way that's forever changed me. You, the people, of Milestone Church have been a light in the life of my family and I'm deeply grateful. You may not know this about me. We moved here in 2008. Never thought I'd live in Texas. We were at a transitional moment. We were leaving one ministry opportunity and we knew God had something different for us and so we looked in Seattle and we looked in New York City. I'll never forget sitting in Central Park and talk about trying to convince God. I, my wife and I were sitting there in Central Park and I was like, God, I'm not scared to raise my kids in New York City. I'll take them on the subway. I'll be a man for your word. I'll stand up in this God-forsaken place. He's like, are you done? I was like, yeah. He goes, go to Texas. I was like, really? Texas? They got plenty of churches there. They got plenty of people. He's like, go to Texas. So we went. Little did I know what was waiting for me. I was at a point in my life where I was frustrated, upset with the church. I was like, I don't know if this church thing will work. I believed in the kingdom of God. I believed in his higher purposes. I was frustrated with church. I was frustrated with the challenges, with the difficulties. But God began to do a work in my heart. We moved here and we moved into our house and a whole bunch of you came. We didn't even know you. You came and through friends and connections. I'd known Pastor Jeff and many of the team and they helped us move in, and my neighbor's watching. He was a police officer. He's like, who are all these people that are helping you move in? You just moved here. Who are these people? I was like, they're from my church. He's like, churches don't do that. I was like, this one does. Come visit. He and his wife came. They're like, we didn't know there were churches like that. And you, it didn't stop there. My kids' lives have been forever changed. My mom and dad's lives have been forever changed. My life, my wife's life, all of us have been changed. My dad gave his life to Christ at age 16. The evangelist came to town. He's like, I got a call of God on my life. He didn't know what to do. Ends up going to seminary. He serves in churches, and he experienced challenge, and he experienced pain. After we'd lived here for a few years, he saw what was going on. He's like, Mom and I are moving down there. 
Never forget, a couple years ago, he's now home with Jesus. After a Christmas service, he had been serving and I had been doing some things. I dropped him off in the, at his house. We're sitting in the driveway and with tears in his eyes. He looks at me and said, son, I went to seminary dreaming of a church that could be a city on a hill. But everywhere I looked, I couldn't find it. I began to wonder, is it even possible? It's like I started looking in my 20s. I tried to build it. Now in my 70s, I'm finally seeing the church that God had in mind all along. And it wasn't because Milestone and we're perfect and we're the only church. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you can't be a city on a hill by yourself. To be a city, you have to be joined in relationship with other people who give and serve and offer gifts you don't have. And sometimes they hurt your feelings. And sometimes you get misunderstood. And sometimes you lose out on opportunities. But because you're part of a city and a family and God is there, you're like, it's totally worth it, Jesus. I'm in, whatever it means. You say, who'd be willing to live that way? People who understand the grace of God. People who understand there is no other option. And anyone willing to live that way can experience that hope. So what's God asking us to do? Before I pray for you, I think it's pretty practical. Three things, I think, in light of what we've seen from this passage. Number one, he's asking us to move closer to him. Now, that's a little ironic, I understand sometimes we think, okay, I'm gonna move closer, I'm gonna pray more, I'm gonna serve more, I'm gonna give more, I'm gonna do those things, and all those things are valuable. Like I said, if we were to look at the Sermon on the Mount, everything that we find in the Old Testament, he turns up to 12. He says, you know, you've heard uh, an eye for an eye, I say, uh, forgive your enemies and love those who curse you. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. He he said, well, if you look at a woman or if you look at someone with a lustful thought, you you violate it. It's like, whoa, he turns it up. He says, give, serve, pray, fast. Should we do those things? Yes, all of them. Not because doing those things will make God love us, but because God already loves us, which is back to my point. It's a little ironic to say, move closer to him. Anytime we move closer to him, we're only understanding that we're just responding to him moving closer to us. Back to the Sermon on the Mount. Think about this. Have you ever done this? You'd be like, God, I know I had a lot of stuff going on, but I made it to church. I watched online. I participated. God's like, good job. That's cute. You came a long way. You know where I came from? Eternity. I was God. I became a baby. Fully God, full power, in him, through him, for him, all that, getting my diaper changed. So congratulations. (laughs) Think about that. Right, like you you ever felt frustrated? Like when's God gonna move in my life? At age 12, he knew exactly who he was and what he came to do. He posted up for 18 years in a business working for his dad who history tells us had already passed, taking care of his mom and, and serving his siblings. Jesus did that for you and I. So when we move closer to him, we're, we're not taking the initiative. We're not the first actor. We're only responding to the grace and power of God in our lives, and it's only reasonable. You say, how long is it gonna take? I don't know. You're gonna say, where's the road gonna go? I don't know. Here's what I do know. He can be trusted, and the way you do it is just keep taking steps. This is who we are as a church family. From the newest, if you're a visitor, what do you, want us, what do you think we're gonna say to you? Take steps. If you've been here from the very beginning, what are we gonna say to you? Take steps. It's really that simple, which is helpful for us. 
Because it's hard when we try to see big picture. I was thinking about this on Thursday. I was running, doing an annual turkey trot. I do that part of my life, no big deal. I can't really jog great. I don't like it. My body doesn't like it. So I run and I walk. I do these interval things, which are weird. But, but I was trying to find motivation. And so my first motivation was like, I'm going to have thirds this year. And so I was trying to find motivation and running hard. And then my second motivation was like, I had this powerful 80s playlist. And it was really helping me, but not that much. And then my third motivation was my friend Jeff Peltier, and uh, he and I share a fitness tracker, and I get alerts from him all the time. It's like 6.30 in the morning, Jeff just ran three miles. You're in bed, slacker. I was like, dang, watch, scale it back, I get it. I mean, the guy's like Santa Claus, he never sleeps nor slumbers. 12.30 at night, Jeff just ran, he must be stressed. Why is he doing this? Now I gotta run too, I feel bad about myself, but I'm out there running, and all I can do is just put one foot in front of the other, when I thought about, okay, I'm gonna try to run to that target, I would get tired. When I tried to think about how far have I gone, it wouldn't help. The only thing that helped was to simplify my life down to one step, then another step, then another step, then another step, and as long as I focused on the steps, I could keep moving forward. It's the same in our relationship with Jesus. What's he gonna ask of me? Am I gonna have to give? Yes. Am I gonna have to serve? Yes. Is it gonna help me? Yes. What's it gonna look like? I don't know. How long is it gonna take? Just keep taking steps. And all around you, this is an everyone church where everyone's taking steps, and you don't see it. We try to tell you all their stories, but people are taking steps, and lives are being changed. Thought about Danielle, heard her story this week. Danielle was at a difficult place, struggling with addiction like so many people in 2020. Really at a dark place, having a difficult time. She heard about our summer prepare, which we had to rent other venues. We spread out across the whole city to make space for everybody because we couldn't do it here. And we couldn't fit everybody in one spot, so we spaced it out. And she said, I'm struggling with these addictions, so I'm gonna fast for my addictions, I'm gonna fast for the food, I'm just gonna fast from all of it. And I'm just hoping, I don't know what God thinks about me, I don't know how he feels about me, but I hope it'll change. She said, not only did I not go back to those addictions, not only did I, I, I not eat and I was able to do it, not only did I do all that, but I put on a prayer request. I kept hearing about this term prodigal, which means people who are far from God and God brings them back home. So I said, that's who I am, that's what I am. I put it on a card. She said, I came to the meeting. Someone grabbed my card. They prayed for me, for me from the stage. I knew God saw me. I knew God loved me. I gave my heart to him. Danielle's getting baptized next weekend. This is what's happening all around us. That's what it means to be the light of the world. There's story after story after story. It always starts by taking steps. Here's the second thing. We recognize all faith is connected. See, our brains compartmentalize things. We try to go, well, well. Here's in this area, Mom, I have this uh, financial area of my life, I have this relational area of my life, I have this career area of my life, and I'm gonna work on this one, I'm gonna work on this one, and it's exhausting. In Mark 2, Jesus tells this story about these guys who bring their friend, and the friend's got lots of problems. His first problem is he's paralyzed. I'm sure he had a lot of other emotional problems, he had sin problems, he had all kinds of things, but they're so desperate to get their friend healed they bust open the roof, they drop him down, and Jesus is like, I'm gonna heal this brother, but just so that you know that's not all I do, I'm gonna forgive his sins, now get up. See, and this is a change in our mind. The things that you're praying for are not one-offs. God's not a genie that you make requests to or wishes to. They're all connected. That's not to say it's your fault. Here's what I mean by that. The faith that you need to lead in your marriage is the same faith that you need to lead in your workplace. 
The faith that you need to trust that God's gonna provide for you and your finances is the same faith that you need to know that God's got your future. It's all connected. When you grow in one area, you grow in all areas. Here's what that means. Whatever God is asking you to do, just say yes. Just say yes, because every time you say yes to Jesus, your faith grows in one area, which causes it to grow in the other. And let's be honest, you and I aren't the source of the light. There is no light until we say yes to Jesus. We have nothing to offer anyone else. The Bible says it this way in James 1.17. He says that it says that every good and perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. He's the source of the light, not you and me. And when we understand that, when we move closer to him, when we recognize it's all connected, we begin to have that light coming out of our lives. Here's what I know. 2020 is not the last year you will face challenges, difficulty. You'll want to give up. You'll want to quit. You'll feel overwhelmed. It's not the last time it's going to happen. But you can prepare for tomorrow's storm today, and the way you prepare for any storm is the same. Even when it makes, doesn't make sense, even when you don't understand, you keep saying yes to Jesus. Which leads us to the third thing. We put our faith in action. See, many of us, we have in our minds this intention. You say, Jed, if, if I was in a better place financially, I would give towards that miracle offering. If I had more time in the workplace, I'd serve at the church. You know, if, 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 if this person had demonstrated good faith towards me, I would forgive them. It's easy to have intentions towards faith. It's easy to intellectually ascend and create a circumstance. If this were only like this, then I would say yes. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't become faith until you act on it. It doesn't become trust until you put yourself out there. You don't, and, and I don't know why it works this way, but here's what I know. Here's what I know after 25 years of ministry. I've seen it over and over and over again. A person will say, Jed, I'm serious about it this time. I'm all in with God. I'm all in with Jesus. He can have my everything. And then God will say, well, what about this thing? Well, everything but that thing. And as long as we find that thing, and I don't know what that thing is for you, but as long as we take that thing, we try to hide that thing, we try to argue for that thing, we try to fight to protect that thing, as long as we do that, God only wants that one thing. And here's the thing, we don't grow till we give it all. I don't know why it works that way, but I'll tell you it does. He's looking, not for some of you, not for the convenient part of you, he's looking for all of you. And let me be very clear, this is not a message of we need your money, we need more volunteers. We want something for you far more than we want something from you. The people who live the most fulfilled, the, the, the most light-filled, the closest to Jesus, the most filled with faith are the people who just keep saying yes, not because they're perfect, not because they're not scared, not because they don't have challenges, not because there's plenty of other things they could be doing with what they say yes to Jesus with, but because they're willing to say yes. Whether you're in the room, whether you're online, We've told you the same thing these last couple weeks. You say, what are you asking us to do? We're asking you to pray and ask Jesus. And then whatever he says to do, we're asking you to do it. If you'll simply do that, you'll take steps. You'll see this faith in action. You'll become the person God created you to be. Not because it's easy, not because it's convenient, but because he loves you that much. Let's pray together. Jesus, we sense your presence. You're here and we're grateful. You're moving in our hearts. You've got our attention. God, you're not absent. You're not distant. Lord, you're an ever-present, ever-faithful God. 
You're a help in times of need. You're a strong tower. You're a champion. You're the lion of Judah. You're the friend who sticks closer than a brother. So we receive you. We say yes. Whatever he's asking of you, just open your heart, open your mind, open your hands. Just say, Jesus, I'm afraid. I don't understand. I don't know where this road's gonna lead me. But my heart and my intention and my willingness is to say yes. Father, we come as your people, not without challenge, not without difficulty, not without fear, but with willing hearts, ready to say yes. We're thankful for your presence, your grace, your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.